Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. So excited to be chatting with Aliguma Young. She is the super fundraiser. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. And I am, I've been looking forward to this chat. Um, you have a wide variety of nonprofits, um, strategic and development experiences, um, and you've worked with uh, looks like an incredible variety of clients. Um, so really looking forward to this conversation. Um, as is our tradition, I would love to just jump right in and have you take us to a story of maybe a dramatic or exciting or suspenseful moment that you've experienced in your life in the development world? Yes. So um, I think the the big one that I really define as like the turning point for me as a fundraising professional was when I was at the Center National Center for Civil and Human Rights here in Atlanta. And I was hired on as a major gift officer Um, A few months in, I brought in a really big gift. I was promoted to director of major gifts. And then a couple weeks after that, our vice president resigned. And the CEO turned to me and said, hey, I need you to lead this campaign. And it was a campaign for $130 million. And I had all of three years of fundraising experience. So I was terrified and I was just like, what am I going to do? And um, really just after I finished freaking out, um, really just head down, partnered with an amazing firm. Um, The Osborne Group is a consulting firm based in New York and um, figured it out. (laughs) I learned it felt like a fundraising boot camp, essentially, for two years. I also had my son during that time, and it was just the craziest, most amazing, most awesome experience I think I'd ever had in life, but then also as a fundraiser. And it taught me so much about fundraising fundamentals and what it takes to be successful and mm-hmm. I would add to that, this also happened in 2009, which, as you recall, was the middle of the Great Recession that we were in. So there was a lot. There was a lot happening um, at that time. But we were able to um, rescope the project, set a goal of $72 million. We hit it. And now if you visit Atlanta, you can go to the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, where I led the capital campaign for it to be built. Thank you. That is an incredible story about having a basically eight figure, I don't even know if that's the right number, eight figure campaign, nine figure yeah. campaign, fall into your fall into your wheelhouse. Um, tell us about, um, it sounds like that was maybe earlier in your career. Tell us about sort of the evolution of your career that brought you to the point where you are today? 
Sure. So after the Center for Civil and Human Rights, I took about a year, two years off, um, almost don't want to say off. Um, I had babies. And so I was a full-time mom during that time and doing some consulting. Um, got back into fundraising as a um, head of development at a university and then um, went to from higher ed into working with Teach for America. And I had an opportunity there to do development coaching where I was really supporting the 52 regional offices of Teach for America to help them with their fundraising. And so I did that for a few years, missed being a head fundraiser, got back into doing um, leading development teams with some large national education organizations. And now I'm back into doing consulting and really providing that coaching and support and professional development for professional fundraisers. Really cool. And I'm guessing that, you know, given that people are bringing you in as a consultant, they're probably, of course, looking for sort of quick wins and then also uh, long-term impact. Are there tactics or sort of tricks of the trade or little tweaks that you found to be particularly helpful for folks that are trying to improve their fundraising or development? Yeah, I think that it's, you know, there's the obvious things that everybody knows about where it's relationships and it's connections and it's networks and all of those things. But I think one of the, my favorite things that I really push teams to do is think about what you can do to be unique in the space. I mean, there's so many organizations out there. There's so many voices that are all kind of doing the same thing. And so one of my favorite super secrets is to do custom cards for random holidays. And so uh. when I was at one organization um, leading fundraising there, we did Halloween cards. And it said something like, you know, don't be afraid to invest in us or something like that. And then on the inside, it was just like, uh, you know, here, this is who we are. And we're really excited to connect with you. And I sent that out to a number of foundations that we were having trouble getting meetings with, where maybe there'd been a conversation in the past and we were just having a hard time rekindling the love, if you will. And in one instance, the one person at that org that we were really hoping to attract saw the card, saw my business card in it, just picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, I think you sent me a few emails and, you know, let's connect. Like, let's talk. Let's let me hear about what's going on over there. And so it was super exciting and a really low lift thing to do um, that really made a difference because it set us apart. Unbelievable. That is such a cool story. And I love the use of random holidays. I mean, Halloween isn't even a, a very few fundraising solicitations, I would imagine, go out around Halloween. But exactly. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And you've sort of, um, you've guessed my next question, um, which is along this vein, are there, I, I don't know, I don't know what you would call that. Maybe it's prospecting, it's new mm -hmm. relationship development, you're going from cold to now there's some kind of connection between you and the person. Um, are there other approaches or tactics that you've seen to be really helpful for people that are trying to expand the universe of people that they're in contact with? 
Yeah, I think what oftentimes happens is that people forget how important it is to bring value and to add value to the people that they're engaging with. And remembering that all donors, whether it's a corporation or a foundation or an individual, all donors are people. And at the end of the day, I heard once that everyone has three priorities and it's not you. (laughs) That's kind of the approach you have to take is how are you adding value to that person? And how are you adding value in that relationship with every single interaction? And so one of the things that I really try to do with every conversation that I have is not just focus on the big picture things, but also finding and uncovering something about that individual that I'm talking to that's a little bit unique. And so it could be that, oh, you know, I love the fall and I just really love when the leaves change and it's my most favorite thing. And that is something that I try to remember and bring that back as we're cultivating the relationship. Because it's amazing how it can make someone's day if you meet in June and then in October, you send them a little note like, hey, hope you're enjoying the fall. The leaves are beautiful here. Here's a picture from my trip in Massachusetts when I was meeting with some donors. Would love to talk to you. And those are things that make someone smile because they feel heard and listened to and valued. And anytime you can do that and you can focus on how you're bringing value, that's how you truly build relationships because it's not one-sided of, I want something from you, but it's truly a relationship where you're building and you're learning from each other and it's mutually beneficial. Right. And you're proving to them that you're listening carefully because you're not just saying, I really want to listen to you. You actually are listening. And then you're following up with that in actions, showing that you remembered that they care about when the leaves change color, which probably gives the donor a lot of confidence that you'll be listening to and paying attention to their wishes for the type of impact they want to make and their investment in the organization. That's so smart. Um, Exactly. I love that. Um, Okay, so let's jump into um, one of the more fun parts of the discussion, which is the pro-con game, where we choose a topic to debate back and forth. And um, we were talking earlier, we're going to, and the topic will be, are fundraising events worth it, essentially? Um, Would you like to take the pro side that they are worth it or the con side that they're not worth it? I'm very much on the con side of that. <laughs> and I very, love it. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. Okay, perfect. Um, would you like to make an opening statement then for your view on how fundraising events are maybe not worth it? Yeah. So I think the biggest reason that I feel that way is that 98% of organizations do not consider the hidden cost of an event, which is staff time and energy. Mm. And the amount of time that it takes to coordinate an event from the, oh, we got to get these items for the auction to, oh, we need a venue to, we need caterers to all of the things that go into making an event successful as an experience take away from staff time of cultivating relationships, writing grants, um, 
prospecting for new opportunities, et cetera. And so I think that cost is not worth it for the return that you typically get at the end of the day. That's really interesting. Um, I honestly had never thought about it that way. Like, what is the opportunity cost of the staff's time? What else could they have been doing? But now, okay, I'll, I'll try and counter argue. So um, don't you think that events are, um, don't you think that some giving has to happen in groups and that there's something special about getting a group of people together and giving people the opportunity to invite their friends? It's kind of an easy way to expand um, the network of people that know about what you do um, aren't events the only way to truly do that. And um, I, I know that many organizations have incredibly successful um, gala programs or things of that nature where they raise maybe a million dollars or millions of dollars each year in one event. Um, what would they do if they didn't have that? How would they, how would they make up the shortfall? So, in most cases, when it is, you hear, oh, um, I can give a perfectly relevant example. Uh, a few weeks ago, Oprah Winfrey was speaking at a event for the United Negro College Fund in, I want to say, North Carolina. Um, and this was maybe like a week ago. And she donated a million dollars. I am 99% sure that she didn't just get to the event and go, wow, these flowers are lovely. I'm going to give you guys a million dollars. I'm sure there was a lot of cultivation that happened in advance of that event and a lot of connection drawing. She probably had made other contributions prior to that. Hmm. In fact, I know she has because she's been a longtime donor of UNCF nationally. And so when you see that there, those traditional kind of fundraising processes and development cycles are already happening and have to happen to be successful. So one mm-hmm. of the things that I encourage organizations to do in lieu of having a large gathering, because I actually do agree with you that people give more when there's peer pressure involved. And that's what the event experience creates is peer pressure. What I like to encourage organizations to do is what I refer to as a vision meeting, mm-hmm. which is a smaller gathering of 10 to 20 people, either in a home or in an office where that person who is an influencer gathers their people has them open their checkbooks, you bring in your staff, but the person who's hosting is responsible for all the logistics. So it's not taking any staff time to execute. And so then you just get the benefit from having that experience. That's a really strong counter argument. And the total logistical time is dramatically reduced, even for the person, even for the, maybe in this case, it's the donor that's taking on some of that. Even so, they're not going to spend as much time. This isn't like a highly produced event, but it probably has some of the same impact. That is really interesting. Um, cool. Okay. Well, we will, uh, we will award you the debate. Congratulations. <laughs> you uh, knocked the socks off of me. That is so fascinating. And, um, is going to inform a lot of what we think about going forward. I love that. Um, this is why we do that. It's the right. joke is that it's uh, supposed to teach the audience. Mostly, it just teaches me. So here we are. I love it. Um, 
I love it. Um, cool. Okay. Well, let's jump into some rapid fire questions. The answers, of course, do not have to be rapid, uh, but the first one might be. If you could describe yourself in one word, what would you say? I would say strategic. Um, I really see the big picture and the small details at the same time. And so I'm always starting with the end in mind of like, okay, so now what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? And then working backwards from there. And so that's just how my brain works. And I think that's the best way to describe me. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I can, I feel like I see that coming out already through our conversation in a dozen ways. Um, That's really cool. Um, Are there shifts that you are seeing in the nonprofit world that you think are particularly exciting or that give you a lot of sort of hope for the future? I think there's probably three things that I've seen um, most recently. I think the first thing that I'm seeing is more interest from the philanthropic community to diversify their giving. And when I say diversify, I don't mean just giving to different organizations, but I actually also mean different types of organizations, different types of causes, and really expanding the um, the opportunities that are being provided to nonprofits to grow and expand and providing more funding for strategic planning, providing more funding for coaches and consultants that help to grow an organization. And then I think the other shift that I'm seeing that's really exciting is the innovation that's happening in the space and the willingness to be thoughtful about how can we impact more and not just with using less resources, but using resources more strategically. And I think that there's a difference between saying less and strategic. And I love seeing those shifts so that it's not a lack mentality, but it's about strategy driven. And I think that leads Mm -hmm. me to the last shift that I'm seeing, which is moving away from this idea of donations and starting to think about it as investments and Mm -hmm. more seeing more organizations really thinking critically about what is the return on that investment and how are we not only achieving more, but then also how are we articulating it more clearly? Because I think previously and historically, nonprofits have been thought of as kind of like this feel good. So if it feels good, then you're doing good versus what I'm starting to see now more is a very objective view of, well, are we actually doing good and how do we know? And what are the indicators? And with more, what else could we do? And so seeing some of those visionings happening, that's been really exciting to me. That is a great point. Right. It's not just if it feels good, but is it actually good? Um, and how do you know is one of the one of the things you said that really stood out to me. I love that. Um, are there people um, we love giving shout outs. Um, are there people that are also in development or um, fundraising or nonprofit world in general that have been particularly helpful to you and your growth um, over the course of your career? Anyone that you kind of want to give a shout out to that other people should sort of be paying attention to as well? 
<laughs> okay. So there's so many people. Um, all right. So a couple of people that come to mind right away, Alyssa Silverman, she's the chief development officer at Bottom Line. A phenomenal, phenomenal fundraiser, brilliant, um, values-driven leader. And she's also a phenomenal manager. And that's a very unique combination that you find um, because there's a lot of people who are excellent at fundraising, but not necessarily excellent at managing fundraising fundraisers. And so the fact that she can do both is just very inspirational to me. And she has been just such a tremendous um, support throughout my career. I'd also shout out Birgit Burton. Um, She is the senior director of foundations at Georgia Tech. And she's also the founder of the African-American Development Officers Network, which is grown into this really amazing organization of hundreds of leaders across the country who gather together every year for a large conference on diversity and philanthropy. And it's just been so amazing to have the opportunity to be involved with the organization. But then also she has been such a generous leader in terms of sharing lessons learned, giving Mm -hmm. insights, giving recommendations, giving resources, connecting people. Um, Yeah. So that has also been an inspiration to me in constantly thinking about how am I, as I grow as a leader, how am I kind of looking back and reaching back and supporting other emerging leaders? Um, Absolutely. I think the last person I would shout out is Danielle Howard at Teach for America. She's the chief of staff of the national development team there and really just one of the greatest strategic minds um, that I've ever encountered Encountered in terms of just being able to connect dots and see like 50 different projects at once and constantly be problem solving simultaneously. Wow. Like it's just amazing to watch. Um, But also just having such a tremendous mind for organizational structure and strategic planning and growth and development. And so those are some people that really stick out in my mind. That's beautiful. Those are those are some inspiring verbal resumes that you just shared. That's so impressive. Um, yeah, no, I love it, and it, I love the I love the collaboration that happens between folks, um, and just all the different ways that like ideas and inspiration diffuse throughout the community. Um, it's very cool to sort of map and see the the ways that people have positive influences on each other. Um, is there something that, as you look back, that you understand now and appreciate now much more than you did maybe a decade or so ago? How much I would fail and that that's okay. Like on a regular basis, like I get a lot of stuff wrong. And I think um, had I understood 10 years ago, that adage of, you know, don't let great be the enemy of good. That I think would have saved me a lot of time, energy, and stress because I would just spend a lot more time just failing fast 
because that's how you really get successful is trying things and, oh, that didn't work. Move on. Go to the next thing. Um, You kind of debrief, analyze, do your autopsy and move on. And so I think I would have, I do a lot more of that now and just take a lot more risks now. That's brilliant. That's such a good insight. I feel like I am just in the beginning stages of learning that like on a personal level. It's interesting that I I don't know, I always assume that if you mess something up, then like that's probably a negative. Um, and so um, maybe don't try it. Um, and it's so funny to think about like even even if in the worst failure case, the person, the version of yourself that went through that worst failure and learned from it is better off than the person the version of yourself that didn't do it and so it's like there in some ways there is no failure at least in the i don't know sort of in Mm -hmm. the professional world because Mm -hmm. even the failures you learn a lot from exactly exactly maybe i'll maybe i'll fully understand that uh in a couple years there's a there's an amazing and i recommend this to everybody because i just i love it um the harvard business review gosh, it might've been like 10 years ago now. Um, They did a failure issue. And it literally, the whole issue is articles and articles about things that failed. And like a couple of them that just stuck in my mind, even now, one was um, Blockbuster, the CEO from Blockbuster, kind of just talking about how, you know, he was a CEO and he had to shut it down. And um, New Coke, And Mm. a lot of people may not remember New Coke, but I remember when New Coke came out and that was just a complete failure, but people still drink Coke. (laughs) So it didn't break anything. It was just a bad idea. And that I think when you really can embrace that, that you just, we have as many bad ideas as we have good ideas and that's okay. Cause that's how you learn. That's how you grow. Right. Ah, I love that. I'm going to have to look up the failure issue of the Harvard Business Review. That's so fascinating. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. I really appreciate it. I know that you're wildly busy. Um, If people want to learn more about you or the work you do, where can they find you online? Yeah. So I... The fastest, easiest way to find me is thesuperfundraiser.com. So I am thesuperfundraiser.com on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find me everywhere as well as on my website, um, thesuperfundraiser.com. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is wonderful. I so appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Absolutely. All right. We'll, We'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time.